0: Hey everyone, it's Brendan here from Cookville Ghost Hunters. Have you ever wanted to create your own podcast, but didn't have the money or time into researching it? If you answered yes to any of those questions, then Anchor is your answer. Anchor is a free podcasting application where you can create your own podcasts with some creation tools that allow you to record and edit from your computer, and even your phone. You can also make money off of them with no minimum listeners required. They'll even distribute your podcast so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and so much more. So what are you waiting for? Head on over to Anchor today. Topamancy is like an umbrella. If you use it as a crutch, it will break and you will fall. But when it rains, it will keep you dry. Unknown. Hello, my friends, and welcome back. I'm your host, as always. For this week's episode, we'll be talking about a topic that many people aren't familiar with. It could be considered a type of entity or simply something people just make up. That entity is called a topa or thought form manifestation. So with topas, Wikipedia describes them as, quote, a concept in mysticism and the paranormal of a being or object which is created through spiritual or mental powers. TVTropes.org explained topas this way. A topa, also known as a thought form, is an independent entity brought into being by power of belief. It starts out as an imaginary friend and gains sentience of its own, carries on a life independent of its creator, and according to some, can be seen and heard by others and can affect the world around them. So in a previous episode, I do believe it was the, yeah, the second one, which was uh, Types of Hauntings. I had made mention of a case about tulpas, and I'd like to go more in-depth with that case, which was known as the Philip Experiment. This experiment took place in 1972 in Toronto, Canada. Prior to this experiment, a mathematician named Alan Robert George Owen, or ARG for short, proposed an idea that a group of people could create an entity by meditation and connecting with this entity through seances. Owen had a psychologist from the University of Toronto oversee this experiment throughout its entire duration. Owens had taken inspiration for the experiment by researching what is referred to as topomancy, which is often tied to Tibetan Buddhism. We will discuss the ideas and history of topomancy later on, but coming back to the Philip experiment. So the amount of people that took part in this experiment, along with Owen and Joel Witten, the psychologist I had mentioned earlier, were eight. For a total of ten people, the others involved in the group were Iris Owen, wife of Alan Owen, Margaret Sparrows, who is the former chairperson of Menza. So just a quick side note before we continue. I had never heard of this group, so I did some looking up. And I found that Mensa was founded in England in 1946. Uh, their, are, their aims are to create a society that is non-political and free from from all racial and religious distinction. Uh, Mensa means table in Latin. And the organization was named because Mensa is a round table-like society. So I just thought that was pretty cool. Anyways, uh, back to the podcast. Uh, the group had created a fictional story about Philip. And this is his story according to LiveAbout.com. Philip was an aristocratic Englishman living in the middle 1600s at the time of Oliver Cromwell. He had been a supporter of the king and was a Catholic. He was married to a beautiful, but cold and frigid wife, Dorothea, the daughter of a neighboring nobleman. One day, when out riding on his estate, Philip came across a gypsy encampment and saw there was a beautiful, dark-eyed, raven-haired gypsy girl named Margot, and fell instantly in love with her. He brought her back secretly to live in the gatehouse, near the stables of his home. For some time, he kept his love a secret, but eventually his wife, Dorothea, found out about Margot and accused her of witchcraft for stealing her husband. Philip was too scared of losing his reputation and his possessions to protest at the trial of Margot, and she was convicted of witchcraft and burned at the stake. Philip was stricken with remorse, and eventually he committed suicide because he was not able to defend Margot during her trial. So with the complete backstory of Philip out of the way, the group thought that they needed to create a sketch of him just so they could visualize what he looked like. So the group had hired a sketch artist to do just that. So with the fictional story of Philip and the sketch created, the group started in September of 1972. The group would meet informally and would talk about Philip in a a brightly lit room. Some members would report feeling a presence, but nothing beyond that. The experiment went on for about a year at this point with no results. During this time, the group decided to change their approach and conduct seances in a dimly lit room. Now, I could not find the exact time span that their seances took place, But eventually, through these seances, the group started receiving tapping sounds. They would begin asking questions, using one tap for yes and two taps for no. With this system of taps, they were able to ask this entity that they believed to be Philip questions. And this entity would answer based on the information the group had of Philip. So basically questions the entity that was asked, that the group had not written down, the entity could not answer. So for example, when the entity was asked how many wives it had, it would respond with two. If they asked if he fought in the English Civil War, it would say yes. But if it was asked how many children did it have, the entity could not answer that question. And eventually, Philip seemed to gain a personality of its own. It could turn the lights off and on by command, and eventually the group recorded one of their sessions in front of a live audience of about 50 people, which seemed to be successful. However, their original goal by having Philip uh, physically manifest was not met. So with that being the more well-documented case of tulpamancy, let's talk about Tibetan Buddhism that I had mentioned earlier and also discuss the actual methods of tulpamancy. So Tibetan Buddhism is a branch of Buddhism that's practiced mainly in the country of Tibet, which is located in Eastern Asia. It's thought of as an evolved form of Mahayana Buddhism according to gradschool.psu.edu in ancient times, monks in the Varahian uh, tradition would create topas to overcome their fears. The monks would be trained to create topas, how to control them, and eventually get rid of them. And I do apologize for that mispronunciation. It's like the voodoo episode all over again. So I, I do apologize. So going from ancient times to now, people still create topas, although not for the exact same reasons. Uh, many modern-day topamancers, if you will, create them out of a feeling of loneliness, often created to be a companion. During the ancient times, monks created them to overcome phobias. So, with modern day and ancient times, topas are created to help people, but in different situations, if you will. Modern day topomancy is kept alive thanks to the internet and has no signs of slowing down. So, with all that information out of the way, let's look at different methods of creating a topa. The website topa.io states there are four main steps to creating a topa. They are, step one, make absolutely sure you want a topa and can handle the responsibility. The only way to go back once they've developed is to outright murder them. If you're not willing to do that, you better be sure you can stay committed throughout the entire process of development because you cannot just put away your topa once you get bored of them. Step two states to choose a form for your topa, don't worry about them not liking it they can change it however they want if you notice their form keeps changing slightly don't fight it it might be them altering their form deliberately practice imagining the form whenever you talk to the toba so with that basically what you're doing is you're using your energy during like you don't have to do séances during this but basically, you just imagine what you wish your topa to look like in your mind. And then you focus solely on creating this tulpa in the image that you want it to have. Step three is to pick a personality. You can either go trait by trait or just get a general feel of them. And either tell them about their personality as a form of narration. Or talk to them as though they already had that personality. And the last step is talk to them. A lot. This is called narration. And it's the most important part of topomancy. It doesn't matter what you talk about just as long as you constantly talk to it. Eventually they'll respond to what you say. So I know that this episode was a little bit shorter than all the others. But I would like to end it with some food for thought. Another podcast I listen to called Graveyard Tales have covered tulpas, and I'd highly recommend you check them out. And they also made some interesting points. Could a tulpa be created by hundreds of thousands of people unknowingly? I'll give an example of what I mean. In 1967, the famous, or infamous, depending on your view, but the Patterson video was captured. In the video, what seems as a giant ape-like thing was recorded, which gave rise to Bigfoot. What if that video was a hoax, but thousands of people believed it to be true, and with the collective unknowingly using their energy, accidentally created a topa that people claim is Bigfoot? So the same theory could be used for other cryptic beings, whichever you believe exist. It could help explain why hundreds of sightings have occurred for Bigfoot, for example, yet to my knowledge, nobody has been found. What if Bigfoot, uh, Loch Ness Monster, just all of these that people believed exist, what if they're all just thought-form manifestations? Of course, there's no evidence of that, and it is just a theory at the end of the day. But what do you all think about that? Uh, One last mention before I end. I do understand we are a few months from Christmas, but I plan on telling ghost stories for the episode that's released the week of Christmas. The reason being is it was believed that the holiday was originally connected to the pagan winter solstice, also known as the darkest day of the year. So if anyone has a good ghost story, feel free to email me them at cookbookghosthunters at gmail.com. I hope to have enough stories to create an entire episode. And if you're still enjoying listening to my wonderful voice explain the paranormal as best as I can, let me know by leaving us a five-star review. Another way to help the podcast grow is by sharing it with your friends and family. As always, I've been your host, Brandon. And until next time, Have a great week.